I'm excited. We're starting a new series. And I love, I love teaching us here because it gives me an opportunity to get a bunch of ideas across. I start out and I, I'll have all these, my notes, and it's great knowing that, hey, we're, we're going to be able to cover this next week. So here we're a series that uh, we decided to call Boomerang. And, uh, of course, we understand Boomerang immediately. What do, we, what do we think about when we talk about Boomerang? The first thing you think about is Australia. The second thing you think about, I'm going to cover this in case somebody says to go in a different direction. Are things coming back to you? Things coming back. And ultimately, this, this is a series and a study on worship and how the function of it. I've, I've asked our worship leader who's just up here with us um, to tag team with me on this. And so I'm your pastor and worship is a big deal to me. It's, honestly, it's one of my favorite parts of the service. I thoroughly enjoy worship. It is a big deal to me. It's a part of my life. It's not just something that takes place on, on Sunday mornings. They, even in practice, I can't help myself. But as I come in and I hear them and I'll begin to shout and holler and, and they're like, we're just practicing. Well, I don't practice worship. I worship. And so, and the cool thing is, is that's what they do as well. It, it, it's, I, I've loved to see them get lost even as they're trying to pull it all together and just get lost in worshiping God. But I want to bring it from, from my perspective as a pastor. I mean, think about it. This is prime time. We get together once a week for about an hour, hour and five minutes. That's it. And I've chosen to put, a, put apart 20 minutes of that to 25 minutes of that for us to sing some songs together. Why? Why? Does it just make a nice thing for the late people to walk in? They feel comfortable. Is that what we're doing, making a cushion for the late people? Some late people feel like, yes, everybody's doing something else and they don't notice me flipping in. No, it's because of what it does for us. So if you've got your version app or if you've got your notes, let's just go ahead and let's just get into this. Because this, this worship is, is funny, it's weird, it's, it can be a little different. We can go to a lot of places and receive what we're doing right now, a lecture, a teaching, a talk. We kind of do this. Some of you have to do uh, um, <clears throat> like a extended learning or stuff with your with your jobs you, you understand how to interact here but then we have this this different part at the beginning that sometimes especially if you're new to this whole church world you're like what what do we do with that i see this guy two rows down from me and, and he's sitting there doing this i see somebody else doing this i see the the pastor guy and he's like all over the place and 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 so what what are we doing what 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 is this about why 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 do we do this well that's what this this was about and worship when you have to understand it you have to understand this concept what it is and at its core folks worship is about our recognition that god is the source of life and worthy of our thanks our praise and our devotion these are the concepts these are the pieces that come into a life of worship our thanks our praise and our devotion See, there are the, these uh, things that are there. My wife, you will hardly ever hear me use the name her parents gave her. Um, Y'all talk to her, Miss Krista, Krista, all these different things. She's probably cringing right now when I say, Krista, 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 Krista. Because she don't ever hear it from me. She don't hear that word from me. She only hears me call her cutie. And I have called her cutie for a little over 20 years now. And... It was, <clears throat> the cool thing is, is that uh, 
uh, is that very early on when she received Christ, she had decided, she had prayed, and she had wanted a new name. She said, Krista is a different person. Krista doesn't exist anymore. I'm a new creation. And it was cool that God <coughs> brought that up out of me. And it was actually, the cool thing is she actually called me cutie first. I don't know why. And, uh, and I was one time, one time only. She got it out of the way early. Never had to go through that again. And uh, slip of the tongue, she says. And, uh, uh, and so, and I have been putting that on her ever since. And just, just with the, the name that she has ha- is a term of endearment, a term of, imp- of praise, a term of recognition of her just massive amount of cuteness. And uh, it, it's there. When, when we do that, just even the, some of our terms that we, that we use for God are, are wrapped up in our praise. And we'll get into that as we, as we move forward. But when we understand that this is ultimately all about, this is ultimately all about Him. He originated that. That's why the title of this message is From God to God. We are honestly, we are returning something to him the praise belongs to him and you can either hijack it and choose to push it back and just try to not give it at all or you can return it to him see romans eleven thirty six 36 says for from him and through him and to him are all things to him be the glory forever and ever Amen. See, when I first started walking with God, I had some, some difficult conversations with God. Because we see all through the scriptures, you know, that we're supposed to be humble, you know. Um, you know, we did, if I was to, to come up and to tell you, hey, I, would you just please compliment me? You know, please, nah, nah, would just give me a good compliment right now. You, he, can't, he can't think that hard. And so, um, save your brain power, buddy. You're up next. And, uh, and so... Uh, but you know that would be kind of that would be kind of weird if I tell cutie, you know what, um, you just you know you need to tell me how awesome I am a little more. You know, you just you know you you you've said it before, but I I really want to hear this some more. Give me this some more. That, that would be something odd about that. And then we read these scriptures, this book God gives us, and He's telling us to worship Him. I'm like, hmm, God, this, this you come off a little egotistical here, God. Why, why are you forcing me to worship? Why is this something you're demanding of me? This is, this is different. And I've had some tough conversations early on and began to, to recognize and realize that, that God isn't about trying to harvest some praise product from your lips. It is a natural response. It is this thing where we begin to, to recognize him for who he is and when we do that all that he wants to do in and for us it begins to flow from us it's from him it's through him and it's to him he's the originator of it he's not looking for us to be creative and come up with something new and flashy that's why we can sing the same songs over and over and over again and it still has such incredible meaning it's from him and through him and to him james 1 16 says don't be deceived my dear brothers understand that don't be deceived don't think wrong don't get <clears throat> caught into a trap. Don't buy into a lie. And here's the next piece that comes into it. Every good 
and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. One of the first places humanity gets deceived is when they begin to attribute anything good to any other source but God. Deception sneaks in there. Any place where is when we begin to find some good thing and attribute it to some other source. Whether it's even your own talents. There's some talented people out there that do some pretty cool things. And they always, when they hijack it, it always creates their destruction and their demise. They begin to use it for themselves. They, the, the world may, may, may take it from them and, and use it for the world's own glory, but they will discard them in the end, and it will be their destruction. Why? Because they thought they did it. They took the glory. They owned it themselves. Folks, our first place of deception is to think, is to think that any good thing in our lives or any good thing we've done or any of that is that it comes from some other source than God. He is the source of it all. See, Revelations 5.12 says, <clears throat> In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. He's worthy. He's worthy. He's worthy. Up in heaven where they're recognizing him in his purest form without all of this intermixed with our confusion that comes in with a knowledge of good and evil and our own hurts and the deceptions of the enemy and all that that clouds our thinking in that pure place they recognize he's worthy he is worthy one of the other pieces that i think that things kind of can get out of whack is when we somehow think that worship is automatic that when something happens we 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 attribute some Thing that that this spontaneous applause should is this authentic worship and that somehow when something that's really awesome then we each without thinking about it stand to our feet and clap and those moments happen those moments do happen but we're going to look scripturally that worship isn't automatic if you're waiting for it to just come popping out of you all of a sudden you get this big whoosh of how the goodness of god and you find yourself jumping up and talk and all of a sudden it's do it that it's somehow that's the way it's going to be no it's not this thing that's automatic or if you think man if if god just really did something really good in my life man i'd give him the praise but man i've prayed for this and i've prayed for that and it's not going the way i want it to go and man when this miracle happens i'm gonna be the first one to give god all the glory when this happens, man, I'll do it. Think there's somehow that it's contingent, and that somehow it's automatic in that place. Let's look at this story of Luke 17. Okay, now we don't deal with leprosy in our day and age in America. It still exists in some third world countries, but for the most part, it's been eradicated. But man, it was it was a horrible, horrible plague in Jesus' time. And here it is. I'm just going to read it to you. He was going into a village, Jesus, and ten men who had leprosy met him, and they stood at a distance. Now, they didn't stand at the distance because they were so unworthy and they recognized God was doing that. Or that they just had a huge personal space bubble and they just just as close as they comfortable were. It was because the law said they had to stay away, and if they came in, then people could start to kill them. 
they could pick up stones and kill them because it was so contagious. If they didn't, they knew they were lepers. They knew they were contagious. And if they just didn't care, then society said, you can enforce this, that they can't come in and you can just start hitting them with rocks and killing them. So they stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. He didn't go over there and do a lot of the stuff that we like when Jesus maybe went and laid hands on him, although he did do that with a leper. Or maybe he did something cool and a little bit, uh, a little bit uh, dramatic, like spitting in the dirt and making some mud and rubbing it out. That's one of my favorite miracles. I love that. It's just cool. He does something that it could seem like he's blowing them off. I just need to get these guys away from me, man. Just get them out. Go over there. Let's deal with this. And he says to go show yourself to the priest. Now, that doesn't sound like much of anything to us, but if when a leper was cleansed, that's what, when, that, when they felt like, man, I'm healed. They had to go show themselves to the priest, and the priest would look at them and decide if they were really healthy to be around people or not. So what he told them to do is, is to, to act like you're healed. Go do what, you, what people who've been healed of leprosy do. Go show yourself to the priest. So they load up, and they, they go show themselves to the priest, and they went and they were cleansed. When were they cleansed? I don't know. I don't know if it's when they turned around and they took their first step. And all of a sudden, if it was halfway down the journey, if as each one of them stood before the priest, boop, boop, I don't know. It doesn't say. It don't matter. But they were cleansed. And then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he came back one. There were ten. One. And when he saw that he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. And he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And this guy was a Samaritan. He wasn't even a Jew that, to the core that even had to do the thing. He didn't have to do that. But he just jumped in and did it with them. And he comes and he thanks God. Nine of them are healed. Nine of them go from being outcasts of society. From being slowly killed by a disease. And one... Goes back to thank God, folks. It's not automatic. And Jesus said, we're not all ten cleansed. We're the other nine. Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner. And then he said, arise and go. Your faith has made you well. He trusted. He trusted Jesus. And that is what made him well. See, folks, we have to get to it that that leper understood his source of what happened that that jesus did it that it was jesus that did it and so he returned and gave thanks see folks our recognition of all the kindness that comes from god leads us to him and we have to understand that it's god's kindness that leads us to repent if we don't understand the process we don't understand what's going on but i'm telling you it can mess things up of course you play sports have to get uh, in school you have to get uh, a physical and lauren i uh, uh, took a couple of my kids this week to get their physical so they could play in the homecoming games we were sneaking it in under the wire and so lulu goes and gets her physical done and she gets back in the car and is looking at her little paper which of course has all these you know conditions and all this stuff all over it that you know as a as a sixth grader she doesn't understand and uh, but as a student she understands she understands a few things 
She understands A's are good and F's are bad. Okay? And she sees an F and she, she goes, Ah! Lauren! And Lauren's like freaking out. What? She's like, I failed my physical! And Lauren's like, Lula, I don't think you did. If there would have been an issue, they would have told me and had a conversation with your, wanted to have a conversation with your mom. I, I just, I just don't, I think it's fine. And she said, and Lauren said that Lulu then went, oh, okay, wait. That's gender. <laughs> that is a true story. And yes, she's blonde. But if we don't understand, I'm telling you, something will be there and, we, and we're going to respond to it the wrong way. We're not going to recognize it correctly. See, <clears throat> Romans 2.4 says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that it's God's kindness that leads you to repentance? You understand repentance? We tend to think that this repentance is this big, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, God, all this stuff. We look at this, this Greek word, it is the word metaneo, which means to think differently. God's kindness comes into a situation and causes us to think about it differently. When God's kindness shows up, we begin to think about issues differently. It begins to make us respond in a different way. God begins to move in our lives in that way, Romans 14, 11 says, It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. It's going to happen. Every person is going to recognize that God's the source of all. The thing is, what you need to do is the timing that matters. We need to do it now while we have the opportunity in this period of mortality to step from death to life. It's not that you're going to forever go, Eh, God, you don't matter that much. No, one day you're going to recognize it. Let's choose it now. While we're living under his kindness, it leads us to that in Philippians 2. It says, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at that name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. This isn't nepotism. Jesus didn't get this because he's God's son. He got it because he was the greatest servant to humanity humanity has ever seen. God said, whoever is the, the <clears throat> wants to be the greatest among you must be servant of all. And then anybody ever outserve Jesus. That's why he's king of kings and lord of lords. Not because God said, oh, my boy is going to get this title. It's because Jesus earned it by serving you. He is worthy. He is worthy. And guess what? It's God initiated. It's one that God, he reached out to you and I first. You got a video to roll. Thank you. Uh, I want to talk to you about a fellow by the name of Noah who uh, built an ark. Now, everybody knows, you, you ask a question, say, what did Noah do? They say, well, he built an ark. But very few people know about the actual conversation that went on between the Lord and Noah. You see, Noah was a carpenter, and he was in his rec room sawing away, making a few things for the home there. Hooba, 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 Noah. Hooba. <laughs> 
Vuba, 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 Vuba. Noah. Who is that? It's the Lord, Noah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Where are I? What do you want? I've been good. I want you to build an ark. Right. <laughs> What's an ark? <laughs> Go out into the woods, collect all of the animals in the world by twos, and make the ark out of cubits, 80 cubits, 40 cubits, 30 cubits. Right. <laughs> What's a cubit? <laughs> Let's see, a cubit. I used to know what. Well, don't worry about that. Just go out and collect all those animals by twos, male and female, and put them into the ark. Right. <laughs> Who is this really? <laughs> What's going on? How come you want me to do all these weird things? I'm going to destroy the world. Right. <laughs> Am I on candid camera? <laughs> Do it. Want to make it rain for a thousand days and drown them out? Right. <laughs> Listen, do this, you'll save water. Let it rain for 40 days and 40 nights and wait for the sewers to back up. <laughs> right. If you, uh, if you laughed at the candid camera thing, you have officially dated yourself. All right. Uh, when I was a kid, I, I, man, I, I wore that record out. My dad had a Best of Bill Cosby album, and literally at about 6 o'clock this morning, maybe 5.30 this morning, I was trying to think of a way to convey in a, in a semi-humorous way what my first point is this morning. And, and the point is this, is that God is the initiator of all things, including praise. And I know that's a, it's a funny thing to say, but listen, all through the Old Testament, all through the Bible, we see time after time after time after time that God came into people's existence and made relationship with them. You know, Moses was minding his own business. He did not set that burning bush on fire, all right? God showed up in his world and initiated contact. God showed up in Abraham's world. Abraham was doing fine. He was hanging out. He was chilling. And, and God shows up and says, hey, go into the land I will show you. And, and Abraham goes. So God is the initiator all of the time. And this includes praise. So wh what does it mean to actually praise? What, is, what does the word praise mean? A real simple definition is this. It's the act of expressing approval or admiration. When did God ever do that to you? From the very, very beginning. From the beginning, he's, he's expressed his approval of you. From the day of your creation, God said not only that you were good, God said you were very good. Let's look at what the, what the word says. Genesis 1, verse 31. This is in the message version. It says, God looked over everything he had made. And mind you, God had made some pretty cool stuff to this point, hadn't he? We got a canyon. We call it grand for a reason. If you've never seen it in person, go see it. It's amazing. We have redwood trees in my home state that grow 300 feet tall. You can build a house inside it. They're amazing. 
God looked at all of that stuff. And every time he made something, he said, that's pretty good. Yeah, that's pretty good. And then he got to you. And when he was done, the word says this, that God looked over everything he had made. It was so good. So very good. It was evening and it was morning, day six. Who was created day six? We were. So from the very, very beginning, God recognized. Before you accomplished anything, before you ever expressed love back to him, before you ever did anything worthwhile, the creator of the universe said to you that he loved you and that you were very good. As a matter of fact, being God, he was not oblivious to the fact that Adam and Eve were going to mess up. You have to know that God saw history laid out before him. He knew. He knew that they were going to blow it. And he didn't hold back his love and say, man, you're going to blow it, so I kind of like you. He knew from the very beginning what was going to happen. He knew that they would fail. He knew how they would fail. And he still said that they're very good. You guys know that even in our sinful state, God has affirmed that we have worth. How does he do that? How do we determine the worth of something? We determine the worth of something, quite frankly, in our society, in our sort of capitalistic society, we determine worth based on what somebody will pay for something. Something that has very little intrinsic value, something that has no utility whatsoever, can suddenly become worth a lot of money if someone's willing to pay for it. Really? Baseball cards? What are they? Pieces of paper with pictures on them of people who did something that I had nothing to do with. And suddenly, because somebody wants it, because somebody esteems it, because someone says it has worth, I can sell that Babe Ruth card from 1920, whatever, for $100,000. And people will look at me and shake their head and say, that's crazy. Well, guess what? Jesus paid the ultimate price for each one of you guys. Your worth is wrapped up in what he was willing to sacrifice for you. Your worth is, worth is wrapped up in what he was willing to endure for you. The Bible says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. You are that joy. You are the reason that he could go to the cross. But Jesus also said that no one took his life. He gave it willingly. Jesus wasn't out of the mix on this thing. He participated. But he said from the beginning, he started it, you guys. He started it saying we were good. He started it by affirming us and giving us worth and value. All we're doing is simply returning back to him what he started. I remember when my daughter was born, and I have four children, so this, this story rings true for all four, but I'll pick on the first one because, quite frankly, I was just a kid. You know, I was not much older than Stephen. My young, I was 22 years old when she was born. I know that seems maybe to you teenagers like old, but trust me, to anybody over 40, that was, that's, that's a kid. I was a kid. And we had this big deal, and we were in the hospital, and we had this baby, and she's perfect, and we're all wrapped up in the, in the, in the whirlwind of activity, and everybody finally left. Thank God, I finally left. And I'm alone with my wife in this hospital room, and it's getting dark, and it's late, and I'm looking out the window over the parking lot of, this, of, the, of the general hospital in Eureka, California, and I'm holding this thing in my hands. And uh, we were so unprepared, we didn't even have a pacifier. I don't even know what a pacifier was. The doctor said, well, seriously, at this point, she will suckle on anything, so put your pinky in her mouth, and she will, seriously? They'll do that? Okay, so my wife is trying desperately to get some sleep. She's had a hard day. <laughs> I didn't do much except go, good job, baby. I didn't do anything except try to encourage, so I've, I'm, I'll stay up the first night, and I'm there, and it's quiet, and it's dark, and she is in my arms, and I'm looking down at her, and I start to sing over her and I start to say things to her that she can't even understand she has no idea what I'm saying but I'm whispering I love you I love you and I knew in that moment that I would die and that I would kill for this child who had done nothing 
for me to that point except cry and make a mess and try to suck on my pinky. Why? I don't know. But I knew man, my heart broke in that moment. And not in a bad way, but in a good way. That I knew that she had invaded my world. And that I knew that at that moment I would do anything for her. And I whispered it. I love you. I love you. And God gave me this, I hate to call it a vision, but he gave me a picture of this time when she would return that to me. Oh, man, I was excited. Someday my little girl is going to look at me and she's going to say, I love you, Daddy. And, and I'm going to give her the keys to the car. And say, <laughs> whatever you need, honey. But you know what? I must have said I love you. A thousand times before she ever said it back to me. Those weren't wasted I love yous. They weren't just spoken into oblivion. But I tell you what, we have this notion somehow that it was our idea to love God. It was never our idea to love God. He loved us first. And he must have whispered to us a thousand times, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Before we ever heard it, understood it, comprehended it. And even then decided to return it back to him. I tell you what, if I'd never spoken those words to my little girl, I might still be waiting for her to say it to me. How could I have expected her to love me if I never said it, if I never demonstrated to her, if I never said and showed her and modeled for her? Loving God was always his idea. It was always his idea. Look at John 15, 16. I love this, man. Jesus says to this, he says, you didn't choose me. Remember? I chose you and put you in the world to bear fruit, fruit that won't spoil. As fruit bearers, whatever you ask the Father in relation to me, he gives you. It was never our idea. God started it. And in 1 John four nineteen, we get this statement. We, though, are going to love. We're going to love and be loved. First we were loved, and now we love. He loved us first. This is the message version. Guys, Understand that when we worship God, understand that when we praise him, just like Pastor Brandon said, we are simply returning to him what he gave us. We are simply giving to him what is rightfully his. He started it, and we pick the boomerang up, and we kind of sling it back in his direction. But it was never us in the first place. We didn't decide. He initiated contact, and he whispered to us through the universe, you're mine. I love you. And whatever it takes, he said, I will move heaven and earth to bring you to me. He wooed us. I like the Bible uses one word that isn't, is translated as wooed. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I tried very hard to woo my wife when we were first dating. It's, it's a, it's a <laughs> you like that word? Well, I wooed her already. Krista says I need to still woo. All right, fine. I woo. I'm, I'm pitching some woo. Um, it's, a, it's a process, though, where we're, we're being called into. Thank you for throwing me off. That was awesome. I appreciate that. But he called us into relationship, guys, here's the thing, not because we have something to offer him, not because he's needy, not because he's lacking. I tell you right now that God is not lacking anything. God is self-sufficient. God is self-sustaining. God doesn't need anything from me, oh, which makes it all the sweeter, doesn't it? If he needed me, I'd be different. Then I'd be, I, it would be a selfish kind of thing. You need to worship me because I need that. And if you look back at the way the, like the pagans interact with their gods, you look back at Greek mythology and Roman mythology, they had a bunch of needy gods. They needed it. Come sacrifice to me or we're not going to, we'll, we'll lose power. This is not the God we serve. We have a God who, who created us for relationship with him, who wants us to love him because he knows it's what we need, not because it's what he needs. My second point is this, that worship is a natural response to the love that God has lavished on us. Worship is a, worship is a natural response to the love that God has lavished on us. Lavish is not a word we use in our everyday life, but it's a cool word. 
you got to know right now that God is into extravagant displays of love. He started it. He's into it. You read the Bible, it's full of examples of, of, of these over-the-top expressions of love. And the word lavish, just to give you an example or a definition, means to expend or give in great amounts without limit. And the, the synonym that the, the dictionary uses for this is prodigal. I mean, you guys know the story of the prodigal son? You know this prodigal son? For years and years and years, what I thought that the word prodigal meant was bad. Because it's the story of the bad son. It's the guy who takes off, takes all his dad's money, runs off and squanders it, and he's the bad. The word prodigal doesn't mean bad. The word prodigal means wasteful. Well, guess what? There are three characters in the story, three central characters. We've got the son who takes all the dad's money and leaves. He's wasteful. But you know what? When the son comes back and the father welcomes him home, we've got another son who stayed home and who begrudges the celebration of the son who comes home and says, Man, I was here the whole time, Dad. Where's my fatted calf, Dad? Where's my party, Dad? And he's all angry and bitter about it. And the father says to him, You're my son, and everything I have is yours. You should have just asked him. You could have had it. So we have the son who stays home and who's wasteful of the father's love. He's got this relationship with his dad. He's, not, he's taking it for granted. It's just completely wasted. All right, but guess what? There's a third prodigal in this story. We've got a father who loves a son who doesn't deserve it. We've got a father who loves a son without regard for how the son had treated him. He is in what people would, some people would define, he's wasteful with his love. He throws it willy-nilly at this child who's only done anything but hurt him. We have a father, guys, who is prodigal in his love. He will love us regardless if we ever intend to give it back to him. He will never stop sending it out to us. How amazing is that? We tend to focus on the son who takes off into the far country because he's an easier target. He's the one who, who squandered everything. But you know what? Here's the cool thing about this story, and this is my favorite line in the whole story. The Bible says that, that the son finally comes to his senses and decides to come home. And then the Bible says it like this. Jesus is telling the story, by the way, and he says, while he was yet a long way off, the father saw him coming. Say that again. While he was yet a long way off. What does that mean to you guys? While he was, what was the father doing? He was watching. He was waiting. This is not a guy who said, man, you disappointed me. I'm going to cut you off. I'm going to send you on. Go your way. Do your thing. When you come back and you can tell me you're sorry for what you've done, when you can come back and you can repent like we understand it and grovel and come, when, then maybe we'll talk about your place. No. He was waiting. He was watching. The Bible says that the father ran down the road to meet him. And without question, the, the son's, Two or three words into his explanation of what I've done. I'm so sorry I've done. And he's already putting the robe on him. He's already putting the ring on his finger. He's already putting the sandals on his feet. He's already saying, you are my beloved son. You're, you're home. I'm so happy you're back. This is the prodigal love. It reminds me of the story in the Bible where we see that a, a woman comes to Jesus and breaks open a bottle of perfume and just dumps it all at his feet. And then all the other disciples are like, what are you doing? That's, have any idea how expensive that is? That's an expensive bottle of perfume. And the guy who said it, the Bible says, they didn't care because he, he was concerned. He said because he was, he was stingy and he, was, he wanted the money. But there's this lavish, over-the-top, wasteful demonstration of worship that says, God, I'm going to give it all to you. I, it doesn't, none of it matters to me unless I give it to you. 1 John 3, 1 says this. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. But what manner of love is this that God has lavished onto us? Are you serious? We should be called the sons of God? 
I don't know about you guys, but I know what I've done. I know the things I've done. I know the, I know the things I've thought. I know the words I've said. I got no business being called a son of God, except that he said that I am. Except that he said it doesn't matter. I take you as my son. We are called the children of God. Look at what uh, Deuteronomy 7, 9 says. And this is way back in Old Testament, right? It says, understand, therefore, that the Lord your God is indeed God. He is the faithful God who keeps his covenant for a thousand generations and lavishes his unfailing love on those who love him and obey his commands. We tend to look at the Old Testament and see a God who lashed out. We tend to see a God who wiped out, you know, (laughs) this is the God of Noah, right, who destroyed the world. This is the God of Sodom and Gomorrah who sent fire and brimstone. This is the God, by the way, who waited patiently and gave time after time and chance after chance and opportunity after opportunity and sent prophets to warn and sent people to say, no, come back, come back, come back, come back, come back. This is a God who has so much patience for us. The Bible says that he is, he, is, he is waiting because he's not willing that any should perish. This is the God who lavishes love on us. Our response to that love should be to worship him. Our response has to be. We got to return that worship back. He said we are good. Guess what? He's the only one who's ever good. He said we are sons then he must be our father. And we've got to use terminology and words like that to say, God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. These are the things that we sing when we, talk in the, when we sing in the morning. Last verse I'm going to share with you is this, Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. For this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power. Together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp, and this is the key, guys, how wide and how long and, di- and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. We have to grasp how deep is the love of God. How wide is it? And when we begin to do that, out of that wellspring, out of that reservoir of understanding what God is, we will have no choice but to return worship to Him. You see, we're created to know God. And truly knowing His goodness and love will produce a a response of worship. Now, if you haven't experienced this kind of love, it's no wonder that sometimes maybe what we do in this little first part of the service every week might seem funny to you. Pastor Brandon said it was weird. It is kind of weird. Sometimes what we say, the words we say don't match our experience. You know, we sang a song last week or week before, and we said, my God will not delay. Seriously? There are times when it feels like he's delaying, doesn't it? Doesn't it feel like, aren't you all waiting on some stuff, and it feels like he's not there yet? Aren't you waiting on some solutions to your problems, and you don't feel like it's there yet? Don't you wish he'd get there a little quicker? I know I do, sometimes. But you know what? He's never late. He's always on time. He's got a plan, and we have to rest and trust. And when we come into this place and we sing those words, and we say, my God, he will not delay. My refuge and strength. We are lining up our thoughts with the word of God. We are lining up our thoughts, and we're disregarding our circumstances. We're disregarding what we feel, our particular brand of the truth, to line up with what God says. And guess what? When that happens, even if the circumstances don't immediately change, we change. I become faithful in those circumstances, even when it feels like things aren't going the way I wish they would. Boy, I sure wish God would get here faster. Boy, I sure wish this cancer would be healed. 
I sure wish that these finances would be restored. But I tell you what, even if that doesn't happen, and even if that doesn't happen, I will choose this day to worship God no matter what. Because he's worthy of praise. His thoughts are not my thoughts. And I tell you what, I can accept his plan for my life, even when it doesn't match up with what I think it should be. Amen? Here's what I want to do this morning. If you would, if you all would just close your eyes and bow your heads. I would like to create a moment. If Keeney would come. If you have not experienced this kind of love, ground zero is stepping into a relationship with God. And I'm telling you right now, he has whispered through the universe to you.